Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. Beloved saints, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God is eternal, it abides forever, and it is worthy of our attention. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. I'm sorry, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Uh, We're going to end our reading at this point and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Our great God of truth, our merciful Savior, you have indeed told us to offer up our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, that which is holy and acceptable to you, our spiritual worship. But we confess that we struggle to do so. We're often too entangled in the affairs and the concerns of this world. We have our minds set on the things below rather than things above. And so we struggle to follow you as we should. And so we ask that you would renew our minds, transform them them through your word, and teach us to think your thoughts after you, and to believe as you believe, and to love what you love. Do this as we listen to and as we meditate upon your word. Be with us now by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure you've all heard someone uh, say, it's my cross to bear. Uh, Perhaps you've said it. Uh, Typically what we mean is there's something in our lives, uh, repeating hardship uh, that we've been called to endure all our life. And it's one of these things from the Bible that has made its way into popular culture, the language of culture, because it's really taking... uh, from what we heard in our passage and and, uh, a similar passage in chapter 14 when Jesus says if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me Uh, Luke 9.23 he repeats it in a similar way in chapter 14 verse 27 he says whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple Matthew and Mark and Luke all record this unique little event preceding the crucifixion of Jesus where a man named Simon of Cyrene came along and helped carry Jesus' cross up to the crucifixion, something that was a visible picture of what we've all been called to do to bear the cross of Jesus in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul himself picks up this this theme in his own writings. Uh, In Romans, he says uh, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then he says this, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. In Colossians, Paul says this, uh, I rejoice 
in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, this theme repeats through scripture and so my hope today is really simply to dive into this theme of, of bearing the cross, taking up our cross and try to unpack what it means a little bit um, I, I'm doing this sort of after series, we've looked through the gospel of Luke and uh, tried to look at each passage along the way but there's these themes that have repeated and, and come up re, uh, several times that I, I just kind of want to come back and try to pull the different passages together and show the what that theme is. I did that last week with the Sabbath. Um, I'll be traveling next week uh, down to Florida for some committee meetings. Uh, but Lord willing, when I get back, we'll do one or two more of these uh, as, we, um, it, uh, as we finish exploring the Gospel of Luke before we move on. Uh, this, this idea of bearing the cross of Jesus is one of those things that Christians know is there. But I think we sometimes struggle to know just exactly what it means. After all, we know it can't mean that we're meant to go be put on a literal cross, dying in the place of all God's people, <laughs> and in order that we might grant them salvation. We're not calling to be the sa- we're not being called to be the savior of the world. Um, some trying to understand it, limit it to the call to endure hardship uh, or persecution for following Jesus. In fact, I think that's a common understanding, that it is limited uh, to overt persecution for being a Christian. But I think what happens is when that's our view, we miss uh, how all the sufferings that we endure in this life are cross-bearing And how Jesus commands in these passages uh, that we've read and will read tell us how we are to understand uh, and face and endure those sufferings and those hardships. And so my hope this morning as we walk through these passages is to really drive home one point, and it's this. Bearing your cross means accepting that the cost of following Jesus means sharing in his suffering in this world and his glory in the next. It means sharing in his suffering in this world and his glory in the next. And my hope uh, in the time uh, that we have remaining uh, is to explain what I mean by that. So let's start by looking at at Jesus' statement in chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now with all things, there is a context, and that context is helpful. Uh, What comes immediately before the statement and immediately after are essential to understanding what Jesus is saying. Uh, right before he tells his disciples this, he, he says that when they get to Jerusalem, that he himself will suffer many things and be rejected by the religious leaders and killed and on the third day rise again. 
Uh, we saw as we looked at chapter 24 that he brought this back up. Uh, first, uh, to the women at the tomb, the angels reminded that, them that he had said this. And then later, the apostles, uh, to the apostles right before he ascended into heaven, Jesus reminds them, Did I, you know, isn't this what the uh, Moses and the prophets all said would have to happen? Uh, he used similar language on the road to Emmaus. He says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer uh, these things and then enter into his glory? This theme of Jesus suffering and then being exalted uh, comes up over and over. That's the pattern. Suffering, then glory. Uh, And so right before he tells his disciples to take up their cross, he announces that that he is going to die in Jerusalem. And and right after the call to take up their cross is the Mount of Transfiguration, prefiguring the resurrection. There, uh, Moses and Elijah uh, appear to him, and the Father declares his good pleasure on the Son, And while there, his appearance was changed with blinding radiance, a foretaste of of heavenly glory. And so, in chapter 9, Jesus announces his coming suffering, which is then followed by a taste of glory. And the point is to say, this is the pattern. Suffering, then glory. But it's not a new pattern. Uh, there are names that large loom in the <laughs> large loom or loom large, one of the two uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, you think of Moses, David, uh, Job, jo- Joseph, uh, and and their stories are are well known, and their their patterns all follow the same uh, progress. Think about Moses. The mighty deliverer in Israel's history who stood up to the strongest uh, man in the world, Pharaoh, the the leader of the greatest empire on earth at that time, uh, who stood there relentlessly calling Pharaoh to let the people go and eventually uh, leading his people victoriously out of captivity and into freedom. We love to think of that Moses, but we often forget that that great deliverance followed 40 years of fear and exile. Uh, when Moses was about 40 years old, he, he killed an Egyptian and, and feared for his life, and he ran and he hid. And there he stayed for 40 more years until he was 80. 40 years he lived in exile and hiding before the great victory. Uh, David's story is no less stark, I, I think. We, we like to think of David as the great warrior, the mighty king who has slain his tens of thousands. But David's exaltation as king followed years of being hunted, hated, vilified without cause. He served King Saul more faithfully than any other. And that service only won him Saul's jealousy, anger, and hatred. And so for years, David hid in caves and forests. He even hid among the Philistines. 
Even his family and his friends were in danger just because of their association with David. So you read, his family fled and hid with him in the caves and in the forests for fear of their lives. Joseph and Job's stories also embody the same pattern, but on on an epic scale. Exempt from nothing, they suffered pain, agony, abandonment, illness, imprisonment, hunger, poverty. Oblivious at the time as to why... What they both came to understand was that they were a part of a much bigger plan, a much bigger story, and that God was doing something through their heartache. And so when Jesus announces this pattern in Luke 9, it's, it's, it has this long biblical precedent. It's that pattern, his suffering on the cross and the foretaste of heavenly glory that surround the statement to his disciples that if they would come after him, they too must take up their cross, deny themselves and follow him. And so we can't miss that context. Jesus is is telling his disciples that they, like, like Moses and David and Joseph and Job, are being pulled into a much larger story. One where... Suffering precedes glory. Jesus is telling them that his own pattern will become theirs in their own lives. And that helps us to understand what what bearing your cross includes. Because all we have to do now is think of Jesus. Yes, the The cross for him meant his actual death on the cross, but it included so much more. He told his disciples in in verse 22 that he had to suffer many things, not one. In fact, our understanding of Jesus' suffering is not limited uh, to the last hours of his life on earth or even the last week. We readily admit that his entire life was one of humiliation and being brought low. And so his birth famously took place uh, not in a palace, but out in a stable among the livestock in obscurity. For roughly 33 years, he subjected himself to the pains and the miseries of living in a fallen world. Sorrow, illness, Bullying, mockery, loneliness. We have no reason to believe he was spared from any of these. It culminated with his horrific death, his treatment in Jerusalem. But it's not limited to those things. Just as it did for Moses and David and for Joseph and for Job, The pain wasn't simply antagonism for doing the right thing. Uh, Paul, the apostle, uh, admits to something similar. He had some sort of eye disease. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know that uh, he he couldn't see well, that some people were uh, abhorred by his appearance, so it must have been goopy of some sort. Uh, and we know that he couldn't write. He used a secretary. And so at the end of one epistle, you know, he says, I'm going to write this, this final uh, farewell. See with what large letters I write. You know, it's like Paul has to use it because he can't see to write small. But he tells us in 2 Corinthians 
that he prayed earnestly to have it removed. This illness, the Lord told him, was to show him that power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, that the Lord revealed to Paul that that this illness in your eyes is your cross to bear and I'm not going to remove it. That wasn't overt antagonism for his ministry or his preaching. It was a physical ailment that the Lord said, I am going to use in my preparing you for heaven. There's that pattern. First weakness, then power. First suffering, then glory. And that's why Romans 8 tells us that we will see glory with Jesus if we suffer with Jesus. And suffering with him must include whatever was suffering for him. When Jesus says that you must take up your cross, he's calling you to share in his suffering. And that suffering can include overt mistreatment for being uh, his disciple, but it isn't limited to that. It includes all the miseries of living in a fallen world. But of course, non-Christians suffer too. So the question is, how is their suffering any different from ours? And and I'm going to come back to that. But before I address it, I want to look at the other main passage about cross-bearing in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Uh, We're going to read verses 25 through 35. If you'd like to follow along, it's on page 874. Now, great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able? With 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, this is one of those passages that makes people uh, take a step back. In order to follow Jesus, do you have to despise your parents? Uh, Does does seeking God's honor uh, mean seeking your parents' ruin? (laughs) Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, not at all. What he is saying is that he must be absolutely first in your affections. That if your family forces you to decide between them and him, you must choose him every time. And as as Luke goes on in chapters 12 and 21, he says that these, these days might come where families are divided, where marriages are divided. 
he's not denying the fifth commandment and, and our, our requirement to care for and honor our parents. What he's saying is that bearing your cross means surrendering your life to him. That he comes first, period. And I know we all say, well, of course. But that's easy to say when things are going well. But when, it's easy to say when we're getting what we want. But what happens when God says, I've prepared hardship for you so that you might learn that my grace is sufficient. Not your bank account, not your health, not your family, but my grace. Well, it's then that we struggle. It's then that we we question his love. Are you willing to put God first, even if it means enduring hardship? Uh, Psalm Psalm 73 is is a wonderful example of this struggle. Uh, Very honestly and openly, the psalmist begins by confessing his own struggle because he looks around and he he sees uh, God's people struggling and and non-believers succeeding. Uh, the non-believers are—they're successful, they're rich, they're—they're well-fed, and life seems to be easy for them. The road rises up to meet them when they walk down the street. But his life—he's struggling. Seems to fall into every pothole and ditch imaginable. Life seems harder, not easier, because of his integrity, his honesty, and business dealings. And he questions whether or not it's worth it. Whether he should, he should keep going or just throw in the towel. Cast his lot in with the wicked. And I think we can all relate at some level. Because those who seem most successful in life, who, who seem to have the fewest worries or, or troubles, often appear to be the most dishonest people. And we wonder, is it all worth it? So what's the answer? Well, the psalmist gets it, Psalm 73. Because partway through that psalm, he says, but I remembered the end of the story. And where all of this is leading. You remember that those who have the reward in this life typically don't have it in the next, and vice versa. And so he he learns to confess that this world and and all of its riches could never be his portion, his inheritance, because God is. Isn't this the lesson that, that Luke records for us in chapter 16 with Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man uh, who refused to listen to Moses and the prophets sought his inheritance, his good in this life. He had ease, he had comfort. And he lost it in the next. Lazarus experienced the opposite. This poor beggar who had no comfort in this life was welcomed into a Savior's presence in the next. He learned to be content with little in this life, with adversity and struggle, with sorrow and grief, knowing that if he suffers with his Lord in this life, surely he will reign with him in the next. When we are called to endure sufferings for the Lord, it includes all of life's struggles because it did so for Jesus. And that helps us understand one of these more puzzling statements in all of Scripture. Colossians 1.24. I'm sure you've read it many, many times, but 
I, I think when we slow down and read it, you say, has, has it always said that? He says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. When you read that, you think, Did I mishear that? Did he say something was lacking in Christ's afflictions? After what, what could be lacking in what Jesus did? Is he somehow trying to say what Jesus didn't do is enough, so we better we better fill up what's la- you know what the deficit here. We have to satisfy the rest of God's wrath because Jesus didn't do enough. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that this world was a place of humiliation and suffering for Jesus, and that in- that included all that he encountered. All that was a result of sin and the fall uh, was suffering for Jesus because he's perfect and he's holy. For, for a holy God, how could life in a fallen world be, be anything different? And then Paul's basically saying, so if you belong to him, if you are holy, if you are a citizen of heaven, how could this world be anything else for you? The sorrow you experience in this world is transformed because you belong to Jesus. This is how your suffering is different than the suffering the non-believer endures. In a really very real sense, you are experiencing Jesus' travail in this world, his pain, his sorrow. In his suffering. Not because uh, his work on the cross was incomplete, but because every tear is yet to be dried. And until it is, your pain is his pain. Because you belong to Jesus, all of your pain and heartache is his. That's how your suffering is different from the world's. Because your identity as a Christian transforms all that you endure in this world. When you bear it for his sake, it is a sacrifice that you offer up to the Lord because you are willing to bear his cross and see it not as a burden but as a privilege. And I think that's why Matthew and Mark and Luke are all careful to record this man, Simon uh, the Cyrene, who comes alongside and helps carry Christ's cross up the hill to the crucifixion. He took up his cross and he followed Jesus. He wasn't saving the world. He wasn't on trial himself. He was actually bearing Jesus' pain It became his own, and he bore it willingly, trusting that those who suffer with Jesus will also reign with him. Beloved, there are so many imposters for the truth, telling you that following Jesus will make you healthy and wealthy and successful and powerful. And Jesus wanted you to see through those and to learn to recognize him and what he said. And so he didn't leave us a a grand cathedral. He didn't leave us a huge army. And he didn't leave us piles of silver and gold. He left us bread. And he left us wine. 
pictures of his death on the cross. That's Jesus in this world. The suffering servant, the sacrificial lamb. Remember what he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? But he didn't end there, right? He says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? The bread and the wine remind you that those who suffer with him will one day reign with him. And you will reign. The call to take up your cross is is not some dour, eeyore, defeatist statement. It's Jesus saying, don't settle for glory in this life at the expense of glory in the next. Heaven is so much better than anything this world could offer. He's saying, my child, I have so much planned for you. And the affections of this life, the pleasures of this life can't be compared with the glory that will be revealed to you on the last day. He's telling you, indeed, this, this, momentary, and, uh, this momentary affliction is actually preparing you for the eternal weight of glory that is yours in Christ Jesus. Beyond all comparison. He's telling you that the cross is not forever. Heaven awaits you as it awaited Jesus. And there's a day coming when all toil and affliction will be no more. And only the sweet comfort of your Savior's presence will remain. And there will be nothing left to fill up because every tear will be dried. And the meagerness of the bread and the wine that we have today will be replaced with a banquet the likes of which no earthly feast has ever come close to glimpsing. And the crown of thorns will give way to the eternal weight of glory. The cross will yield for the throne. The the call for you to bear your cross is, is not a denial of glory. It's a willingness to wait for it to come in its own time. Even so, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive uh, this gift this morning. Father, we, we crave comfort and we fear the cross because we are short-sighted, focused on what cannot last rather than what does. And so we ask that you would help us to hear your words and to believe them and to learn to delight in losing our lives for your sake that we might find them. Help us to wait with confidence for that day when... We will see with our eyes the fulfillment of your promise that those who endure with Jesus will also reign with him. Even so we pray, come quickly. Lord Jesus, amen.